in prayer as we seek our Lord this morning in this time of worship as we hear from heaven now. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come into Your holy presence and Lord, we come only by the holy sacrifice that made it possible that we can even come, period. And that's through the blood of the everlasting covenant of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who made the ultimate sacrifice that we could be saved this morning, that we could be saved from our sins, saved from ourself. And Lord, to come into the fullness of knowing You, the true and living God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Lord, as we do come, we come boldly before the throne of grace with confidence, but we come humbly. And Lord, we pray that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Lord, now we thank You. We thank You for the great High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made it possible, passed through the heavens, and now makes intercession for His very own, His church, the called out ones, called to be holy, called to be sanctified. So Lord, we bless You. Lord, we desperately need You today. Lord, may we dare not lean on our own understanding, but lean on Your mighty strength. We seek Your help. We pray, Lord, that You would sanctify us holy through and through. Cleanse us by Your Word. We pray, Lord, that by Your Spirit, the Spirit of truth would teach us Thy truth. We pray that, Lord, that by Your grace, that You would apply these great truths to our lives. And that, Lord, that we would obey them. May it be pleasing to You in Your sight. And we would lay aside, Lord, now every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us, that besets us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as Your Word says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Lord, if we take one look of ourselves, we need to take a thousand looks to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May we consider Him this morning, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. And Lord, may... Jesus, increase and may we decrease. We pray this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning of something that's been on my heart for a long time. And as to Redeeming Grace Church, each and every one of us, as small as we are, this is so important to each and every one of us as God's people. Behind this is notes that I took at a small little Bible college, uh, roughly around, I guess, 30, 33, 34 years ago. Elizabeth was just born in South Carolina. They had different pastors that taught in these classes. And I understand that seminary is only a place that we gather tools for the ministry. But I gleaned a lot from men of God that was pastors at that time as they were teaching. And this particular pastor, um, Brother Morris, I never will forget, 
opened up his heart one day by the Spirit of God, opened up the Word of God, and started really sharing what ministry is all about. And I want to share a lot of that, those thoughts. This is basically a message that I put together, but I used his notes as a skeleton. So this comes from Brother Pastor Morris. He was a godly man and uh, really had great insight on ministry from the Word of God. Biblically sound, and uh, even though he was very Pentecostal, he was a God-fearing man, he was a God-fearing pastor, and he loved Jesus Christ. So we have to give him some credit there, even though he being Pentecostal. Let me begin by asking you the question this morning to each and every one of us, what is ministry? That's a good question, isn't it? What is ministry? Those three words sound simple, but it really within those that the question of the, those three words, what is ministry, is a very important and good question to each and every one of us to how we look at ministry. Now, I do want to mention one thing at the offset here. There's a ministry that has a capital M to it. The capital M is the ministry that is called to, uh, to those that are called to the ministry of the Word of God. And Paul the Apostle speaks about this much in the pastoral epistles, such as First and Second Timothy and Titus. Um, I do want to give a, a launch start of Scripture. Go with me very quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. And here the Apostle Paul speaks about ministry. In chapter 4, now this is speaking of the capital M ministry. That, and, and that doesn't mean that we're not called to ministry. Each and every one of us are called to some ministry within the body of Christ. A small M is nothing to be taken lightly because it's the small M that is fathers and mothers, uh, servants of the living God, brothers and sisters, all serving Jesus Christ and serving one another, right? Loving And the motive is love. That's the motive. And we're going to see that. But here, the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, And he himself... Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Uh, we do know that the the ministry of apostles and prophets was only set to a chosen a few, not to people that's here in the church today. The evangelists and some pastors and teachers are. And then he says, for the purpose of that ministry is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And then he says this, but the speaking, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, for whom the whole body, the whole body, uh, that's the church, join and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. 
Now there's, there's ministry. That's the small m. And causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's always love is the motive. But if you notice with me in verse 16, it says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Each and every one of us has gifts that God has given. And uh, the gifts, and there's the, the big M and there's the small M. We need to look at that. There's a ministry, but every, each and every one of us has a ministry that God has given to us. Now, I'd like to begin with that as a, uh, a start launching pad. But it's really important to look at the definition of what ministry essentially is. One definition I found is very good, it's biblical, is the ministry is essentially an interpersonal transaction between one another. It's an interpersonal transaction and it takes place as a love relationship between persons uh, as persons grows in Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is by nature a family. It's a family. It's not a business, is it? Uh, it's, it is the family of God. Uh, it, is, it is in the reality of that family relationship that the love of God is expressed and that the way of God's love is learned toward one another. And that's one definition that I think is good. And really, it is scriptural. The Apostle Paul suggests, I'm sorry, Peter suggests that the genuine capacity of love, the agape love from our relationships comes from God, doesn't it? He is the source because that's His nature. God is love. We look through 1 Peter and we study through 1 Peter, but if you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 Peter says this, Now that you have purified your, uh, yourselves by obeying the truth, obeying the truth so that you have sincere love or unfeigned love for your brothers. That's the love toward one another. Love one another, he says, deeply from the heart with a clear conscience. So we have to love one another deeply from the heart. So our potential for loving is actually developed by a conscience uh, effort to a deep love toward one another. It's a love of care. It's a love that does not think of itself. It doesn't think of self, period. Be honest with you. Not less of yourself, but none of yourself. And you think about your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the household of faith. So our potential is for loving to be developed. The love is to be developed by a conscious effort to a deep love and care for each other. Now that's the foundation of ministry. That's the foundation of ministry. That's one definition. It's a good one. Actually, Peter is echoing the command that our Lord Jesus Christ gave in John 13, 34, 35. That's huge, isn't it? What did Jesus say to His disciples in chapter 13, these first, these, uh, verse 33? 4 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. He said, repeats himself again. By this all will know. Some translation says, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, this makes me think of a, a simple illustration of the debate of the late R.C. Sproul and Pastor John MacArthur had on baptism. It was a tremendous debate. If you get a chance, you can listen to it on YouTube. 
it's audio, it's not video. Give yourself at least two and a half hours for it. But it's very good. Not only the debate is in great love, but it's the way the response is and how the atmosphere was permeated with the love of God. Now, I got more out of that than the debate, the debate itself. Because as the watching world looks, and whoever goes on YouTube or whoever was there, just not among the believers, but yes, among the believers, I really believe the greatest testimony in that, in that whole debate was how these two, they were friends, of course, but how the debate did not get ugly, they did not start throwing stones, so to speak, and they were not um, just trying to be right. And of course, they want to be close to the truth as possible. You know, as I do, as, as both sides of that, that fence, there you got the credo and the pedo that pretty much believe very closely the same almost in doctrine, but except when it comes to baptism. The debate's been going on for a long time. But what really stood out to me was the way R.C. Sproul responded to Pastor John MacArthur's debate. MacArthur, I thought, wow, he just nailed it. But the way R.C. came back, so loving, even though I would not agree with R.C. on that point of baptism, I do believe in believer's baptism, and I'm going to make that statement. But the way R.C. came back in such a graceful, gracious way in all that, showed everything, and it pretty much says everything what Jesus says here. You have love toward one another. And, and that love is, is key, isn't it? It's paramount. Now keep in mind here, when Jesus is speaking about a new commandment, this, to this love was not necessarily new in itself. He's, he's bringing it to the table and He's raising the bar. Deuteronomy 6.5 commands the love for God and Leviticus 19.18 commanded God's love and our love toward our neighbor as oneself. However, Jesus commands, like I said, agape love presented distinctly a new standard that He's raising that bar. And that bar is high, beloved. So let me, let me warn you, in this message here, it's going to be very convicted, convicting it, convict, it still convicts me to this day because we're going to all fall short somewhere. So I'm preaching to myself this morning and it's a great reminder to us as a small congregation, Redeeming Grace Church, that this is what really makes a, 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 a fervent, vibrant, loving, God-centered church is our love toward one another. Love toward God first, of course. Our vertical relationship with God, but it's expressed in our horizontal relationships toward one another. So Jesus raises the bar, doesn't He? Number one, it was sacrificial love that Jesus modeled after His own love. So He modeled that love. As I have loved you. You tell me if there's any greater love than that. There isn't. Not on this earth. That is the greatest love there is. It's the love of Jesus Christ. And second, it is this great, this love is produced through the new covenant, by the way. 
by the uh, transformation of, of uh, us being renewed through the Holy Spirit, regenerated. It's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And none of us can love like this unless the Spirit of God abides within us. God sheds His love upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And all this comes to us through the regeneration, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, and He gives a new heart. Impossible to love unless we have this new heart. Turn with me to Ezekiel real quickly, the th- chapter 36. And you, these are very familiar uh, verses, but this is so important. And notice with me in verse, start beginning with verse 22. Let me back up a little bit here. Therefore, he says, let me back up to verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And then he says in verse 23 of chapter 36, I will sanctify my great name. In other words, my name is set apart. His name is holy. My great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am... When I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries. And bring you into this uh, own land. And then he says this, and then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. I love that, don't you? God cleans us up. Spiritually. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. And from all of your idols. And here's the promise. I will give you a new heart. God is in the giving business, isn't He? I will give you a new heart and and put a new spirit within you. A new heart and a new spirit within you. Nothing external here. It, It produces itself outwardly, but it all begins inwardly. It's a new heart. It's a new spirit. And then it says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh... And will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. I love that, don't you? Cause you to walk in my statutes and and you will keep my judgments and do them. There's obedience. Verse 28. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will call... For the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. That's the blessings. Now think about this. That's, that's the promise of the new covenant. That's the renewal of Israel. And we're grafted in. We're there. Born again by the Spirit of God. And look at what God does. So what I'm saying here is it's impossible for us to even have the love of God unless God sheds His love upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit and through regeneration. And it's impossible for us to love unless we have within us that new heart and that new spirit. No one can do this outside of the Holy Spirit and being regenerated. Now that's foundational to ministry. And that's why I go there first because 
This is to God's people. And this is for us. This is for us at Redeeming Grace Church. There is another definition I like, and I think it's very biblical, and this is what I got from Brother Morris. It's Christ-centered, and I love this definition here. He said this, Ministry is the free gift of self to others in relationship with all the vulnerability of the story of the other which that gift involves. End quote. Now, Brother Morris is so right, isn't he? It's the free gift of self to others in relationship with all the vulnerability of the story of the other which that gift involves. What's he saying? Basically what he's saying here, number one, ministry is a free gift of self. You give yourself away. You die to self, but you give yourself away. You give. That's what ministry is. It's giving. Ministry involves giving. God's a giving God. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Giving and expecting nothing in return, by the way, with no strings attached. How many people you know that give and they got strings attached to it? But this is the kind of giving that it has no strings attached to it. Giving and expecting and nothing in return. Ministry is always Christ-centered, not self-centered. It always involves giving in agape love. Agape love. Well, now we see that in 1 Corinthians 13. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you know this is one of the most powerful, convicting chapters in the Word of God. R.C. Sproul said that. He said this is one of, no doubt, the most convicting chapters. And Why is it so convicting to us? Why is it so convicting? Because we still have self to fight. We still have self to die to, don't we? But notice what he says in 13 verses. He packs it in. The Apostle Paul, notice what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. If I don't have agape, in other words, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy to be a great preacher, understand all mysteries. You can really have insight and discernment and have all knowledge. And though I have all faith, faith is important, isn't it? So that I can even remove mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. How convicting is that? Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Look at this. Though I give my body to be burned as a martyr. Though I have not love, it profits me nothing. It will profit nothing unless we have the love of God. And then he gives the definition. This is God's definition of ministry, folks, right here. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. I'm already convicted, aren't you? Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Reality will come when we see Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And then he ends it with this and concludes. Now abides faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, isn't it interesting that he brings this to a church that was very worldly, a church that was very carnal, a church that was fighting with competition among themselves, causing divisions. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be, oh, I'm of Apollos, I'm even of Christ, I'm of Cephas. I'm, hey, hold on. Uh, you know, there's competition going on here. And Paul brings it right down. You, he basically, he says, he doesn't throw out the charisma gifts. He says a place for them in the body of Christ. But he says, the greatest is love. And then in look in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love. You pursue love. Don't pursue the gifts. You pursue love. Desire the spiritual gifts, but you pursue love. And then he says, but especially that you may prophesy. And he, you see, he doesn't throw the gifts out, but there's a place for them. But love is the thing that they are to pursue. And that's what we should pursue as a church. So ministry is that free gift of self, giving yourself away. This is the highest love there is. Makes me think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There it is. God gave. What did He give? The greatest gift that we can ever think of. His Son. He gave His Son. And by the way, the Scripture says His only begotten Son. His one and only unique Son. God gave. Because He so loved. That's the free gift of God. Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the free gift of God to you and me. Second is, ministry is being involved in relationships. And, Brother Keith didn't know this, but I'm, I'm going to finish up the, what he spoke of this morning. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. Now he got the first half of it, I'm going to get the other half. Does it that fit together? What he mentioned this morning about the, um, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now Jesus talks about in verse 20, the greatness is in serving. That's ministry. Because ministry is about serving one another. Verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons. Listen to this. Kneeling down and asking something from him, from Jesus. They literally kneeled down before him and they were asking him something. And he said to her, What do you wish? Jesus basically is asking, and he knew he knew this before he asked that. He knew what their hearts were desiring. And she said this. This is very interesting. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Wow, what a request. Now that's, that's, that's glory. That's, that's a high rank. Did you hear what she said? Grant that my two sons may sit, 
one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Wow. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm a, uh, that I am a baptized with? And basically what he's talking about, his sufferings. The cost. They said to him, we're able. Now they really didn't understand the, the depths of that. But in verse 23, he said to them, he didn't back off. He said, you will indeed drink my cup. And, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But he gives the answer to it. Give, Jesus didn't hold back. He gives the answer. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Even Jesus submits to the Father's giving of those who He has foreordained before the foundation of this world, who will sit in those positions of, of rank. That tells us something. Doesn't it? In the kingdom of God, there will be ranks. There will be. I think of the apostles and the prophets is going to be definitely up there. We see that in Revelation, don't we? There's thrones about the throne. The martyrs, the sufferers. They, they, I believe they're going to have a great reward. Then the failures... Way down there. I, that's that's going to be me. <laughs> Way down there. You know, honestly, I really mean that. And, and when the ten heard it, listen to this, the, the other ten heard this, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. It caused problems here. There was almost a dispute. In verse 25, but Jesus called then to himself and said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. We got it backwards in the church today, don't we? Everybody wants to be great. Everybody wants to be a big preacher boy. Everybody wants the podium. Everybody wants to be well popular and known. But not with Jesus. If you're going to be great in His kingdom, you've got to be a servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, and then He says this about Himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give, there it is, that's ministry. To give His life a ransom for many. So there, there you have what ministry is about. Well, let's look at an example of ministry. That's a good one there, I thought. But go with me to the parable of the Good Samaritan found in the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at this. Chapter 10 of Luke. Here is a great example of what real ministry looks like in action. Shoe leather faith. Jesus tells this parable in response to a provocative question, by the way, from a lawyer in verse 25. It says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, 
tested him. So he's testing Jesus. Saying, teacher, listen to his question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's an important question, isn't it? But let's keep in mind this man's motive. He's testing the Lord here. Jesus knows this, of course. He said to him, notice the two questions. Then Jesus comes back with two questions. He gives him a question, Jesus comes back with two. What is written in the law? That's the first question. And the second one the Lord gives is, what is your reading of it? How do you interpret that? That's good. We can learn a lot from the questions of Jesus, can't we? And so he answered... Now, now keep in mind, with these two probing, heart-searching questions, Jesus is, this is the way Jesus probes people. He, he pulls out who they really are. And we'll see that in just a minute. He said, he said to him, uh, the lawyer answers, and he gives a good answer, actually, with Scripture. He quotes Scripture. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He quotes from Leviticus 19, 18. Then Jesus, and uh, no, 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 what, does he, what does he say? He says, so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. How does Jesus respond to that? He said to him, you have answered rightly. You have answered right. And then Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, do this and you will live. Do it. Now I think there was some conviction behind that. Do it. But he, and here's the verse that really tells us his real motive. Wanting to justify himself said to Jesus. Then he comes back with a question, and who is my neighbor? But the Lord knew. The Lord knew, folks. Wanting to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? That's interesting, isn't it? This revealed the man's self-righteous character. He was very self-righteous. And Jesus knew it. He asked that question. Who is my neighbor? You can almost hear the sarcasm. Who is my neighbor? Now, I studied this, and I like what MacArthur said. I want to give you his quote here from his commentary, and I think you'll find this very insightful. Pastor John MacArthur says from his commentary, the prevailing, he says, the prevailing opinion among the scribes and Pharisees was that one's neighbor, neighbors were the righteous alone. According to them, the wicked including the ranked sinners such as tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles, and especially Samaritans, mixed breeds, were to be hated because they were the enemies of God. They even cited Psalm 139, 21-22 to justify their position using Scripture. And he goes on to say, As that passage suggests, hatred of, all, of evil is the natural um, corollary of loving righteousness, but the truly righteous person's hatred for sinners is not a malevolent enmity. It is a righteous abhorrence of all that is base and corrupt. Not a spiteful, personal loathing of individuals. Godly hatred is always marked by brokenheartedness, grieving over the condition of the sinner. 
And as Jesus taught here and elsewhere, it is also tempered by genuine love. The Pharisees had elevated hostility toward the wicked to a status of a virtue, in effect nullifying the second commandment. Jesus' answers, uh, answer to this lawyer demolished the Pharisaical excuse for hating one's enemies, end quote. He blew away this man's self-righteousness. And then in verse... Um, notice verse 20, verse 30, Jesus answered and said, and this is the way He gives an answer to who is, who is my neighbor. That self-righteous, smug lawyer. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite. A priest, now we got a Levite. Then he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, the reject, the mixed breed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the key right there. He had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He just didn't have compassion just looking on him and passed on by and said, God bless you. He did something. He basically bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him into an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, whatever more you spend. When I come again, I will repay you. He took care of all the expenses. So which of these three, then Jesus comes back with the question to this lawyer, self-righteous lawyer, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Look at the wisdom in that. He said, He who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. There it is. That's true ministry, folks. That's giving of yourself. And I think that's one of the most wonderful examples of true ministry given to us in Scripture. Wonderful, isn't it? So... um, Next, Jesus, Jesus gives this wonderful answer. And I'm going to move on a little bit now. Now, ministry is the free gift of self. It's the free gift of God. And it's being involved in relationships. It's also being vulnerable. I mentioned that word vulnerable. I, I think that's an incredible word because what comes to your mind when you think of vulnerability? You open yourself up to attack. By giving in love but yet you open yourself up to harm and emotional attack, the risk of abuse and the neglect and even rejection itself. But the true Christian does not fear this because he does it for Jesus' sake. It's not for his own sake. And the attacks is never personal. It's always for the Lord's sake, right? Christians do this for Jesus' sake and giving of the gospel, wherever he may be, 
home or abroad, and you know as well as I do, foes will be of your own household, even among your home. God himself opened himself up to this, to mankind and given his only begotten son. All we have to do is look at Calvary's cross and look at the rejection that went on there. Look at the abuse on the Son of God there. And Jesus was the most loving man that ever walked the earth. And He demonstrated it too. He prays for His enemies. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they nailed Him to a cross. That's ministry. This is giving of yourself, making yourself vulnerable. Well, that's my introduction. I hope I can get through this. I'll try to make it short as I can. There's four points I'd like for us to look at. The first one is, in ministry, there's the priority of God's ministry. This is ministry God's way. The, the priority of God's ministry, mean, it's, priorities is means by de- definition, that's what we put first. What do you I put first? I, I think Martha, and, and the story of Martha and Mary is a good one. Mary put Jesus first in that He, she, even though Martha was serving, and I believe serving has its place, but even before serving, Jesus complimented Mary at the feet of Jesus that she had one thing that was needful. It makes me think of the Apostle Paul. He says, one thing I do, I press forward to the mark, toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. David said in the Psalms, one thing I desire, to behold the beauty of the Lord. I think that's first and foremost, isn't it? Is to know our Lord. Every day that I live and you live, you know this as well as I do. I don't even have to say this. The number one desire in our life as a Christian is to know Jesus. To know Him. And the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. So much, much more Jesus gave. I'm just going to touch on this a little bit. But you know, Jesus gave and gave and gave in His ministry. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Back up if you're in Luke. Here's ministry. Jesus begins His ministry. And by the way, He begins His ministry actually in the the wilderness. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and and then the Father speaks and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is led or driven in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil in chapter 4. And you know that temptation. But he begins his earthly Galilean ministry in verse 14. Then Jesus returned in verse 14 in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now keep in mind, he just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He's still weak. Angels even came after the temptation to come to him and minister to him. And in verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until the opportune time. You know what that means? The temptations were not over. They were to continue to come at him. He never gave in to the temptations. But news of him went out through all the surrounding region. In verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth. Hometown. Hometown. We had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. Isn't it wonderful? Here we see the, the incarnate, living Son of God read the Word of God that was made flesh 
read the written word. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he didn't go any further because it talks about the day of vengeance of our God. That is going to be finished when he comes back in power and glory. But he stopped right there because the age of grace is here. Jesus himself gives himself, and here is the heart of his ministry summed up in those two verses. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, the humble. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight to the blind, the liberty, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable. Beloved, that, that ministry is unique, but as children of the living God, that's what we should be preaching to this lost and dying world. He then closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all who were on the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And you know the rest of the story. They reject him. He's rejected. All eyes were fixed on him. May all eyes be fixed on him again. This is where the church needs to come. We need to fix our eyes on him. Well, he's rejected. But Jesus shows us to us the example of what true ministry God's way looks like. Turn with me to John chapter 13. We see again what ministry looks like. There are so many verses. I'm just going to be scratching the surface on this because you see this in the entire life and ministry of Jesus. This is a very familiar chapter. Chapter 13. Notice what he says. Jesus is basically washing the disciples' feet. Now before, in verse 1, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from uh, the, this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's, there's ministry. That's the love of God. He loves his own to the very end. And supper being ended... The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. Don't you love this? Laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know uh, know after this. Peter said to him, It's almost like Peter ignored that, but Peter got it later on. You shall never wash my feet, Peter says. Jesus answered him, "If If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's a strong statement. This is part of the ministry that was passed. This is, this is passed to us as believers to wash feet, folks. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now he got it. He wants to be part 
of what Jesus is doing and who He is. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And He's speaking of Judas. For He knew He would betray Him. Therefore He said, "You You are not all clean. So when He had washed their feet, taken His garments, and sat down again and said to Him, Do you know what I have done to you? And this is a lesson that He was teaching to these disciples at this time. And I don't think they really understood the depth of this, but, and we wouldn't have either. But He says, But you call Me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them. There's the key right there. Do them. Obey. To obey our Lord. So here is the demonstration of true humility. The Son of the living God that created the heavens and the earth come to the world and here He is taking a basin of water, washing their feet. The Master, the Creator of the ends of the earth and the One that made them stoops all the way down and washes their feet. How much more should we be desirous to wash each one another's feet? Amen? True humility. Service to one another. We are commanded by our Lord to imitate Him by doing these things which He did. After all, this is what it means to be a true disciple, a learner, a true follower of Jesus Christ. You know, you mention this in the church nowadays. Some people say, ah, I've heard that before. Apathetic about it. But this is one of the most important lessons that we can learn in the church. Love one another as I've loved you, Jesus said. And, and by doing this, by serving one another and ministering to one another, it should be go without saying that we must study Jesus' words and His life and His actions so that we can model His actions and live after His pattern. I don't know about you. I desire that, don't you? And I come so short of it. But Jesus was just not a preacher, was He? he you don't see in the Gospels that He's tied to a pulpit. Nor he's just an itinerant evangelist, even though he did evangelize. But Jesus ministered to the needs of the people. He ministered to them, but he first and foremost gave the gospel. Even before that, we uh, read in time and time again that his ultimate priority was spending time with his father. Go with me to Mark chapter 1. Notice this. Read this whole chapter in your devotional time. It's really powerful how Mark begins. But um, I love this part right here in verse 35. Now, already in this whole chapter, Mark gives quick bullet points. John, he speaks about John the Baptist. He begins by John the Baptist's ministry, prepares the way. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Then you see a short version of Satan tempting Jesus. Jesus begins his Galilean ministry as Luke gives a little bit more detail. Then as four fishermen called his disciples, Jesus cast out unclean spirits. We see him doing miracles. 
Jesus even heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then many are healed after the Sabbaths on sunset. And then in verse 35, now in the morning, after rising a long while before daylight. And think of what I just mentioned to you. There was a long hours of exhaustive ministry to Jesus. And look at his... Look at how his great desire that he gives to the Father. He went out and he departed, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Early in the morning, before daylight. I don't know what that does to you, but that, that really pierces me because Jesus saw after an exhaustive long day, he even pushes himself physically to spend time with his Father. Verse 36, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Boy, they they needed him because of the miracles and the healings. But he said to them, notice what he says, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. You know why? Because people can be healed and still go to hell. But the reason he came was to give the truth. And that's our reason of ministry, to give the truth in love because God, Jesus is the light of the world, but we are to reflect. And He says, you're the light of the world because we have Christ. We're the salt of the earth. And then it says in verse 39, He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons, and He continued His ministry. See that? Well, that's very powerful, convicting too. So it should go without saying, Jesus... Gave, gave himself and saw it very important to spend time with his father. That's a priority in ministry. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings, dozens of examples how Jesus challenged people to change their way of thinking. He immediately in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus went out and changed people's lives. He cleanses the lepers. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He wasn't sitting in an office, was he, behind a study, smoking a cigar or um, having a good time and just sitting back on his ease and ease in Zion. No, he was in the front lines. He was on the streets. He was in the trenches, so to speak. He was getting his hands dirty. He was serving. Folks, that's the true church, isn't it? That's the church. That's the way we are to exemplify. According to Colossians 1, 3-18, Jesus is to have preeminence in everything. And I thank God this is what we got on our sign down there. Jesus is to be first. That's what it means, preeminent. He is to be preeminent. He is to be first place in everything. And by the way, I love that word. John chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus told His disciples that if they've seen Him, they've seen the Father. He did everything that pleased the Father. He said, it is my meat to, to, uh, and the will of God, the will of His Father, to do those things which pleases the Father. He made God the Father known. He revealed the very heart of God. But not only did He make God known, He demonstrated His ministry of what God is like. Because this is God in the flesh. Pharisees had kept the letter of the law, yet they broke the law. They missed the spirit of the law, didn't they? Isn't it something, you know, that example from the lawyer? He could quote the scriptures, but he missed the point altogether. Jesus was on earth to reveal 
how the Father was in His very heart. Spoke about the Good Samaritan. He spoke about the prodigal son, which is one of the most powerful parables you can ever read. The story of his two sons. He reveals how loving the Father is, how full of compassion the Father is, how full of mercy He is. He's merciful towards even rotten, rebellious rebels like the prodigal and even to the pharisaical older son. He was even loving toward him. Wow, it just blows my mind. The message that Jesus delivered and the lessons He taught were not just His very own, but it was the Father's. How loving the Father is. Now, it just doesn't mean that it would take away the wrath of God because God's wrath is holy wrath and, and He is going to show that wrath one day. And by the way, if you look with me to John chapter 3, I want you to see this. Again, we see ministry. John the Baptist in verse 22, After these things, Jesus and His disciples came into the land of Judea, and there He remained with them and baptized. John also saw baptized, was, uh, John also was baptizing in uh, Anon near Salem uh, because there was much water there. Wow, there's a good argument on baptism, but I won't go there. There they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. But look at the ministry of John the Baptist. I want you to see this. MacArthur calls this the first law of ministry. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who is with you beyond Jordan to whom he testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Notice John does not point to himself of his powerful preaching and so forth. But no, he says, it has to come from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. He's just a forerunner, right? Now, I love what John says. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and re- hears him and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. That's the joy of ministry. Then he says this remarkable statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. My goodness, may we put that must on our hearts and set it before our minds today. He must increase. I must decrease. We need this. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, and he testifies that no one receives his testimony. And he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. And notice what he says here. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. You've got to believe. But, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. There you have the full gospel. Comes right down to that, doesn't it? Another point. 
and my time is gone. And I may just divide this up and finish this, Lord willing, next week. I got some important points to make. And I think this is, and like I said, we're just taking a small break from Second Peter. We will return to it recent, very recently, Lord willing. But there is so much more here. True ministry is no doubt being involved in suffering people, loving people with God's love. Loving people with God's love. The purpose of the ministry, the power of the ministry, the pattern of the ministry. I still got a lot to go to. But I do want to close with this. There's so much more, and I believe God desires us to be fruitful. Doesn't He? You can't deny that. You see this in John 15. You see this, you see this all over the Scripture. But go with me to one verse of Scripture here. And you can, say, you can go to 1 John. There's so much more there because John the Apostle talks about loving one another and this is how we show our love as being loved from God but by our love toward one another. And he talks about that. He said, how can I love, say that I love God? I could say I love God, but if I see my brother that whom I have seen, how can I love God whom I have not seen if I don't love my brother? And he basically says, if you don't do that, the truth is not in you. That's strong language. Elizabeth Elliot said this. i got a quote from her. He said, when I imagine that I want to learn to love God... Now I want you to think about this. And, to, and, and she says this, to whom my, I love my husband and others whom God has given me to love. And you can put your wife or your brothers and your sisters, but mainly to those who are married, to love your wives, husbands, to love your wives, and wives to love your husbands. But, and then she says this, and I love this, and to love my husband and others whom God has given me to love, let me test the desire of my willingness to accept trial and grief. That's good. Let, let me test the desire of my willingness to accept trial and grief, for better or for worse, for sickness or in health, to death to his part. Just not for duty, but for delight. And then she says, if I can welcome them, yes, Lord, I am believe God's purpose in them. I am learning the lesson of love. If I cannot, it is a fair indication that I that my desire to love is a delusion. That is so convicting. That searches me. And, and we cry out with David, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. We need to really see if we really have this love toward our wives, our husbands, toward one another in the church. Because I'm telling you, folks, this is the heart of the gospel. Is God's love. He loved us. We should love one another. And we're commanded to love one another. And that manifestation of that love is, is given in John 14. I'm going to read this very quickly, and i got one more thing to say after this. But notice in John 14, and beginning with verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide, you, abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, and for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He doesn't leave us without help, folks. Isn't that wonderful? He's given us the Holy Spirit to teach us all truth. And He helps us and gives us the empowerment. And then He says, A little while longer and the world will see Me no more, but you will see Me because I live, you will live also. What a powerful statement. You want eternal life? Believe in Jesus Christ and follow Him. At that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That word manifest really stood out to Judas, not Iscariot. And he said to him in verse 22, Lord, what a question. Listen to this. How, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? How? And not to the world. Don't you love this question? She's listening. Verse 23, Jesus answered, and Jesus gave him a good answer. If anyone loves me, here it is. Here's the answer. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we, we will come to him and make our home with him. That's abiding. The abiding dwelling place of God within our hearts. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 24, And he who does not love me does not keep my words. It's that simple. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus basically drew a line of demarcation right there, folks. Those who obey me, love me. Those who don't obey me, don't love me. Obedience. It's the love's final, final test. So what brings the greatest joy in ministry? I think it's two things. That the church is walking in the truth and manifesting love. Let me close with this. I didn't have a chance to write it down, but I got a picture of this in my phone. It's talking about dying to self. And I think it comes down to this, doesn't it? We must die to ourselves. Put that self to death. When you're forgotten or neglected, or purposely set at naught, and you don't sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of, and when your wishes are crossed and your advice disregarded, your opinion ridiculed and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any any impunctuality or any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you're content with any food, any offering, any raiment, clothing, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendation, commendation, I'm sorry, when you can truly love to be unknown. Wow, that pierces me. 
That is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met, and, and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy, no question, nor question God, while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of the less stature than yourself, and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. You convicted yet? I'm there. Are you dead yet? Wow. Are you dead yet? In these last days, may the Holy Spirit bring us to the cross that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Let's pray. Father, this has been a, a message I is so convicting and piercing to my own heart. Lord, this is what redeeming grace is about though. We're all about Jesus. Not about a preacher. Not about ourselves. It's about giving Jesus to others about exalting Him, that He may have the preeminence in all things. Lord, as Your Word says, may He in must he must increase, we must decrease. Lord, may we die to ourselves daily. Mortify the flesh, Lord, by Your Holy Spirit. And no, not only... Let, let me pray, Lord. It is only by Your Holy Spirit that we can mortify the deeds of the flesh. It's not within our own strength. So, Lord, what we're looking at here is not within our own power. We need your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, I pray. May we truly love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.